Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. I'm the founder and CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest started making ice cream in her apartment kitchen in 2009, moved to Washington, D.C. to accept her dream job as a presidential appointee at the Department of Homeland Security. Despite those long hours, she stayed dedicated nights and weekends to her love of inventing ice cream flavors. In 2013, she attended the famous Penn State University ice cream seminar, which I never knew there was one, and started selling 12 flavors in grocery stores and restaurants. In July of that year, Ice Cream Jubilee was voted People's Choice for Best Ice Cream at the DC Scoops competition. Please welcome the founder of Jubilee Ice Cream, Victoria Lai. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to have you. Nice to see you again. Great to see you. So this podcast is around leadership, and my favorite question to ask my guests is, please tell us some misconceptions in leadership. Well, you know, I've been doing some thinking about that because I feel like I've been a little bit of an accidental leader. Um, One of my first positions um, when I was just starting out after school or even as a college student working on political campaigns was volunteer coordinator. And I feel like being a volunteer coordinator on a political campaign has colored my entire um, perspective of management and leadership because you need to find the common ground between the people that you're working with, not the people who are working for you, to make sure that you have a common goal and a common dream that you're working together to achieve. There's a lot of communication. There's a lot of back and forth. Um, And the better that you can communicate and empathize with other people, the better you can achieve that common vision. Awesome. Let's dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, And especially in the volunteer roles, right? Those I find really bring out leadership because you're all there volunteering. And so it's, it's different than managing employees. So talk to us about your perception going into that role versus the reality of what, of how the role sort of unwound or, or came, came to be. Oh gosh, there were so many misconceptions with that. First of all, you know, I was probably 19 years old. This is my first position, um, first employment, uh, you know, going to a hot shot undergraduate school and and just thinking that the world is my oyster and people should listen. You know, a lot of the volunteers on political campaigns, um, you know, back in the 90s, um, perhaps today too, are, you know, senior citizens, retired individuals, people who have a lot of opinions about the way that the world was and the way that the world should be. And if you come into it as, uh, you know, under 20 something saying, you know what, I am going to rule the world. I know how things are going to work. Let me impose my technology on you and tell you, um, tell you the way that things are going to be, the way that we're going to operate today, you're not going to make very many friends. And the whole situation will become painful very quickly, both for the volunteers, the employees, or and for the managers. And I think for that reason, this was a job that um, most people did not covet because they'd rather be 
dictating policy to other college graduates and, you know, PhDs or working with uh, the media, um, but to work with regular people and to understand um, where they're coming from and their desires and their dreams for the world is really interesting. Actually, that leads to the other misconceptions about leadership that I was thinking about when I was, uh, um, you know, thinking about your podcast. Um, is that a leader doesn't have to be a person who has employees. It doesn't have to be somebody who already has a constituency. Um, I think that especially in this day and age when there's so much happening in the world, um, as we fragment towards um, talking only to people who have similar beliefs as we do, and maybe even stop talking about the issues that are really frightening for us, for our families, for our children. This is an opportunity for every single one of us to become leaders. And you can become a leader and a value leader um, just to yourself. You know, um, challenge yourself on how to meet people where they are and how to challenge your own way of thinking. Um, you know, you can start by just doing the easiest thing, reading about things that uh, and positions that are challenging to use, that are difficult, that are maybe painful, um, that talk about inequality and poverty and hunger and violence, and then starting to understand the roots of those things. And then when you're ready to, and this, but it's essential to take the step, talking to other people in a very um, understanding and open-minded way to extend your hand and say, listen, let's talk about these issues and let's solve them or let's just make a dialogue about them. For me, the opportunity to be a leader, it has uh, in this way, one scary precipice, one scary milestone ahead of me is how to talk about these world issues with my children. They're still preschoolers, so I have a little bit of time, but I know that I need to get my head around how I wanna talk about them. Um, you know, Maybe I have another year or two, hopefully, to think about it, but what type of person and leader do I want to show my children that I can be about important issues? That's that a, was great, a lot to unpack. <laughs> no, that's a, a great point, Victoria. And, and so much of leadership starts with yourself and asking those curious questions, being open-minded, um, accepting of others, accepting of other thoughts and, and people. Um, and then having that conversation, and then the family leadership is also a, is is another important step, right? So to your point, it's not just you running a business and therefore you're a leader. Leadership comes in many different forms. It comes from how you are present in your family. It comes how you're present with yourself. Talk to us a little bit more around your leadership journey and how you, what you, how your self discovery went. Um, you know, you just mentioned leadership of self. I suspect when you were five years old, you didn't think that. And so at some point in time in your life, that light bulb went on. I'd love to hear sort of what the circumstances were um, when you started thinking that way. Well, you know, I, when I was growing up in Houston, um, one of my passions when I was in high school was working with the local Asian American community to try to see how we can increase Asian American representation in government. Um, I was coming in such a little bubble because I was in Houston, Texas, and there's such great diversity down there, but not as much Asian American diversity, one as there is now and in other um, places in America. So then I come to get older, go to college, and 
then get my dream job at the age of 25 as the director of Asian American Outreach for the Democratic National Committee and a presidential campaign. Um, and I realized that my whole worldview that was based on being in a, you know, growing up in Texas was so, um, was so different than the quote unquote Asian American experience. Um, so my very first thing in this leadership position, you know, I had this fancy business card. I was so proud of myself being 25 and in this working on a presidential campaign um, with a business card, which I never had before. And um, I had my very first thing that I had to do, but was reluctant to do, was to unlearn everything that I had learned before and start learning um, in, in this instance, in this, um, in this job, uh, that the California Asian American experience is different, that the New York City Asian American experience is different, the Minnesota one, the Texas one, everyone, and American Samoa, and all of these places that I had never, all of a sudden I was rep representing people I had never met, never heard of. And that was um, incredible and awesome and challenging and full of failures that I never thought that I could have um, so quickly and so young. But it's um, being open to those failures and being ready to get up again and try again, whether you're forced to because the job keeps going and you have to keep um, improving at who you are to be the best um, employee um, that you are to be the best leader you can be. Um, so I, I always was interested in leadership, um, but I never thought introspectively about what that meant. Um, I think it's just because I liked talking to people and I thought that that was what leadership was. Um, my, my view of leadership in, oh, and then, and then from there, after working on the presidential campaign, then I um, went and worked for a law firm and then I clerked for a judge, you know, clerking for a judge and then ultimately working at the Department of Homeland Security in, a, in an appointment position, you know, in both those positions, I, you have to lead in a different way, which means being the best um, employee, being the best worker, being the best uh, document writer, thinker that you can be. Doesn't mean talking to people. You are not in charge or in front of the camera in any means. And so learning that being the best um, leader can mean being the best supporter of your boss in a silent way. That was an important lesson for me as well. And then, you know, coming around and now as the leader of Ice Cream Jubilee, I think this, these last few years have been really challenging. Um, one thing that I'm really proud of is being able to talk to my employees about important issues that are happening. Um, when the Black Lives Matter movement and um, marches, demonstrations came through Washington, D.C., um, it was really important for me to stop and talk to our, our employees um, about it because our employees, especially at the Navy Yard location that you see behind me, um, is staffed mostly by residents of Washington, D.C. from the Southeast neighborhoods who are predominantly African-American, who have all experienced violence in some um, shape or form towards their family or a family friend or somebody that they know or the constant stories that they hear from their neighbors. 
um, being able to say, this is not just uh, a march for people out of town. Like, what does this mean to you? And then a few months later, when I felt very passionately about talking about Stop Asian Hate um, and the AAPI violence that was happening across the country, you know, we had a level of trust where we could talk about what's happening in our country. And I've been so proud of them now, just sort of I've overheard conversations about, you know, who should we support for mayor or who should we support for um, city council or like what are the policies that we want to happen um, in our neighborhoods? Uh, I think that social engagement that there that that I see happening, that conversation um, that happens without me is something that I'm really proud of. And you absolutely should be. And thank you for sharing that. Walk us through connecting the dots between your early um, early leadership conversation that we just had and having and leading your team at Ice Cream Jubilee during these very difficult times. Is there a theme or something you could point to that was very early on in your career path that gave you the courage and the open-mindedness to have those conversations during these during that difficult time? So I have to be honest with you, in my, in my family, in my Asian American family, we, we didn't talk very much about social issues that were happening. Um, I didn't learn until I was uh, almost out of high school that my mother and father voted for different political parties and they just never talked about it at home. I always thought that was very entertaining uh, to realize um, what they were doing for a successful marriage. But uh, I think that, you know, in my education, I went to Wellesley College and um, working with um, other people who were very interested and leading political dialogues. That's how I learned that the only way to move forward is to talk about hard things. Um, and, and you, and if you only think that talking about hard things happens on the stage of a political, of a presidential debate, then progress will never be made because the actual progress happens neighbor to neighbor, coworker to coworker. Um, progress happens when, you know, one person has a conversation that didn't go the way that they planned, but they learned how to have that conversation a little bit better the next time. Um, and that constant repeat and trying and failure with the vision of building bridges and making friends and building understanding, um, that diligence is part of personal leadership. I completely agree. And as I think about, you know, the entrepreneurs or the business owners or the budding entrepreneurs that listen to our podcast, having those difficult conversations as a leader of a team, your family, yourself is critical. And it's a huge component of how the world needs to operate. And so thank you um, for sharing those insights. Shifting focus a little bit, Victoria, I'd love to hear your story in a little bit more detail than what I put in the intro from, you know, making ice cream in your kitchen, like or even go before that, when did it become a passion to walking away from a presidential appointee position and saying, I'm going to get into the retail space um, 
Walk us through your journey, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I feel so fortunate to have had multiple dream jobs in my life. Um, you know, I when when I finished high school, I dreamed of being the president or being an elected leader. And I'm so glad that my path has opened up to other options um, in this. One thing that I always knew when I was growing up in Houston is that even though academics were fine, you know, I loved music and athletics and other things, I loved creating tangible products with my hands. I was very craftsy, but I was also a constant baker. My mother is an entrepreneur. Um, she builds uh, in construction. So she builds residential houses and she did that all through my high school career. And she's just uh, now started building another house. Um, so she's having a second career um, after retirement. Um, seeing my mother um, as a Chinese woman in construction in Houston without speaking Spanish um, succeed and really not think too much of the hard work that has to go into running a business like that and succeeding um, really colored my whole perspective of what is work, what is passion, what is um, weaving all of that with family life. Um, I think that having strong role models um, always creates um, new opportunities. Um, so I never really thought, but so she would go off and have construction. She would pick me up from school. She would come and see my theater productions, but then she would also be baking fruit tarts and chocolate cakes and all sorts of things at, at home. I always thought that baking and having dinner parties was something that everybody did um, mm -hmm. as a side, um, as a side thing. It was just um, uh, a fun side ambition to have. Uh, so when I finished um, checking a lot of boxes in my career pursuits and went to law school and found myself in a wonderful um, corporate law firm um, that where I simply wasn't happy. You know, it was a wonderful place with wonderful people that did great work that just didn't fit who I was. I returned back to what truly makes me happy, which is the memories of sharing ice cream with my father and my sister when he would come home from work and, um, and the satisfaction of making and sharing something tangible. Through that, I came to the realization that absolutely every person um, has a happy memory of ice cream. So you could be a person who may, may not, you know, may not love ice cream, but you still have that happy memory. It could just be your grandfather or your college roommate or, you know, your child enjoying ice cream. This is something that connects us all. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know, I, I love ice cream and I love translating flavors and colors around me into ice cream flavors. Uh, so why don't I give this a try? I also, you know, had been baking pies for a while, but I was very, very, um, annoyed and frustrated with the fact that I couldn't bake a beautiful pie, have a slice at home, and then bring it to a dinner party. That is just not acceptable to do and to give. Um, but when you have ice cream, you know, you can taste a little bit as you go, save a little bit at home, and then um, still present it to people who will be just as thrilled to have um, a new homemade flavor of ice cream. So that's how I got started. Um, I was working at when I finished my clerkship in New York City, I had a three months off and until my, I was supposed to return to my law firm and I didn't know what to do. 
I've contemplated going and backpacking around the world and, you know, seeing what opportunities you're lying on a beach and relaxing. Um, But I really wanted to use this time wisely and do something that I thought I could never, ever, ever do again. And for me, that was working in a bakery. So I um, sent a lot of emails. I was still like in lawyer mode. So I sent emails and color letters to a bunch of bakeries. And, um, and then I started sending pictures of the things that I was baking saying like, listen, I would really like to work for you. Um, I could work for free if you wanted me to um, just for a few weeks for the experience of working with you. And finally I got one opportunity that came forward for work at 420 Blackbirds in Brooklyn um, to work in a pie shop. And finally, I had the courage to go up to the sisters who are running the business and said, listen, so I make ice cream and I would love it if you would give me the chance to serve it in your ice cream shop. And the sister said, well, we would love to say yes, but my other sister eats all the ice cream. So we can't keep it as a store inventory because she would eat us out of house and home. I was like, all right, well, I understand that. And a few weeks later, they said, okay, we're going to try your ice cream. That'd be wonderful. But it was that same day, literally, that I got the call from Washington, D.C., um, from the now um, Secretary of Homeland Security to come and work for him in uh, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, which was a dream job of mine, um, where they um, uh, host all the naturalization ceremonies and um, provide all the legal immigration paths um, for people who want to be, be Americans. So, you know, coming back to the way that my parents came to the United States, I could come and help other people um, in that pursuit as well. But I made a pact to myself that just because I found my creative passion and now I have a, a professional passion that's coming true, um, I'm not going to give it up. So I came down to DC and I said, well, you know what? I'm going to make four flavors of ice cream every single week. I'm going to blog about it. Um, take pictures of it and be creative um, in a very disciplined manner, just in the way that somebody who would be running a marathon would say, all right, I'm going to run four miles. I'm going to run six miles. I'm going to run eight miles. I'm going to reach my goal. I'm going to do that. But my marathon personally is ice cream. So I kept doing that. And then I was hosting ice cream tastings in my apartment for friends and then strangers because I was, I had my freezer was overflowing with ice cream. And finally, I had the courage to enter a competition called the DC Scoop Competition hosted by Union Market in 2013. And I gathered up all of my friends, asked all of my friends to volunteer to help me um, give out samples so, uh, so I could contend to be the best ice cream in Washington, D.C. And after many hours and about 9,000 samples, um, Ice Cream Jubilee was voted the best ice cream in D.C. Um, uh, of all of the 19 producers. Um, and, and that was a really exciting moment for me. I got a little plaque and it has a little golden ice cream scoop on it. Um, and I really didn't know what else to do until I went to work the next day. Um, fortunately, um, or just sort of um, fortuitously, rather, I got an email from somebody who said, listen, I represent this new development um, in Southeast DC, and we're looking for an ice cream shop to open in our neighborhood. It's beautiful. You should come down and look at it. And I, I had never been further Southeast in DC than um, Eastern Market. 
But on a whim, on my lunch break, I went down there and I went and I experienced the Capitol Riverfront and Yards Park and all the green grass and the laughing children playing in the water and the beautiful Riverwalk boardwalk that leads up to the National Baseball Stadium. I just fell in love with the neighborhood and decided that if I'm going to be working 60 or 80 hours a day, um, I love to do it in a place where people are happy, um, in a place that makes me happy, where I can see the blue sky. And uh, I think this could be for me. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember that building where your first location is when it was just a lumber storage like from 60 years ago down yeah. there at the Navy Yard. And, and they started to develop it. And they fin the finished product, to your point, is absolutely gorgeous. Um, there's a lot of lessons learned there, Victoria, that you shared. Um, if you could capsulate it or some of the things that you said, that, let's imagine that you're sitting that, that day before you decided to pursue your own thing. And let's imagine that one of a, a member of our audience is in that same situation. Any words of encouragement or advice you would give to that budding entrepreneur who's looking to put out their shingle or create a product or do the next step? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you know, I had the great fortune to be the commencement speaker of Van Ness Elementary in the graduating fifth grade class um, uh, a few weeks ago. And I was so happy to be able to share my dream with them and to tell them that their dreams are all achievable too. So the first thing I, I shared with them is that you have to do the work. You have to um, become an expert in what you do and continue improving yourself. And then the second thing is you need to tell everybody about your dream. You know, tell everybody that you have um, an idea of a business that you want to start and you believe that you're going to be the best because X, Y, Z. And even if this is a little bit of an out of the blue thing to say, just being able to vocalize it um, will help you manifest this into a reality and also help you build allies. You, um, it was so important for me to tell these children that everyone that they talk to can be their ally. Um, and as adults, we need to realize that too. You know, as I told my coworkers at the Department of Homeland Security that I loved making ice cream, I was actually afraid of telling them that because it's a weird thing to say um, at a Homeland Security happy hour. Um, do you know what I like to do? I really like to make ice cream. But every time I did that, someone would say, you know what? I am passionate about, you know, making a fly fishing tackle or I'm passionate about woodworking or something else. And people would come out and everybody's conversations um, were enhanced because we reached a greater humanity. Um, and then you know, do your homework and be able to trust people because it's wonderful that you have a dream and a plan to manifest it. But if you can't entrust this dream into people who can see your plans into action, um, or if you can't entrust your dreams to somebody who can become your greatest advocate and let go of it in that way, you know, it'll only, it'll stay It'll be alive, but it'll stay only with you. So if you want to have the greatest impact, you need to be able to let go of it a little bit. I am fascinated to watch what those fifth graders are going to turn into <laughs> after hearing those lessons. Cause it's, 
you're spot on. And uh, what a great, great message for especially early, you know, early childhood. Um, Victoria, just wrapping up, how can people find you if they're interested in connecting with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can find, um, you can contact Ice Cream Jubilee through our website, icecreamjubilee.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and um, we're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Ice Cream Jubilee. Um, and Ice Cream Jubilee stores are, there are three in the DC area, one at um, in the Navy Yard at 301 Water Street, one at 1407 T Street, right off of 14th, and one in Boston Qu Quarter. Ice Cream Jubilee pints are actually also in all the Whole Foods in Virginia, Maryland, D.C., and Pennsylvania, and we ship nationwide, um, and ice cream makes great gifts. <laughs> and I can tell you, if you haven't tried it, it will change your life. My, my children still talk about our first visit to your Navy Yard location when you first opened. Victoria, it's wonderful to have you on our show. Thank you for the time and insights you've given us. Thanks so much. It's great to see you. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.